thankful. They're one of our main missionaries in our church, and we appreciate what you do and love for God and your examples that you set for Let me see if I can get my technology worked out. I thought I had it set up and then differences in different places, so my notes are somewhere hidden here, and I want to make sure I don't ramble around for you. There we go. Well, good morning. We're glad to be here, Chris and Benjamin, Rachel and Catherine are the back there. And we come about every two years. Chris actually was sent out from Community Bible Church in 1982 into Mission, with Youth Mission. And that's where she's been working with, and that's where we met. I joined Youth Mission in 1987. So it's been our entire life out on the mission field in various places. Asia, South Pacific, and since 92, we've been working in Central and Eastern Europe primarily. We got married in 94. We last met in Hawaii, our foreign relationship to Francis back then. You know what that is? And you couldn't always read them because the lines were so bad. And got married in 94 here at church and went back to Eastern Central Europe at the time. Lived for a good season, 13 years in Bulgaria, that's where our kids mostly have grown up. And for the last six years, we've been in Hungary. It's not really Hungary, it's Hungary. Budapest is capital, beautiful city. We live right outside, it's where the kids go to school. And we've been grateful to work out of Budapest after worldwide. Our focus of ministry started changing in while we're still in Bulgaria. Um, out of a season of challenges and struggles, which is so often where God does a very deep work in us as we lesson and things changes to us. And that's the kind of a little bit of the emphasis today in the message I'll be sharing as well. But out of that season, a new ministry came to our attention that we were to develop. And that's coming alongside mission leaders internationally and support them through seasons of challenges in particular. Mission leaders are like you and I. We have our struggles, personal and ministry-wise and family-wise, and stresses just how life is. And too often in the mission field, we're isolated. There's nobody you can talk to. And we really felt God's call us to develop a ministry that we consistently spend time with these leaders one-on-one. It's not a glamorous house, big ministry kind of thing where you see a lot of things happening quickly which usually on the mission field isn't the case anyway. There's a lot of farming kind of ministry where you keep doing the mundane things of life, praying and sowing seeds and encouraging people and ministering, and over time there is fruit. And so now this ministry, and I'll be needing to turn my phone on, and good. Since I can't do it remote, I just say something like that. Two years ago, we were here sharing off what God's been doing with this ministry of coaching mission leaders worldwide. And that's kind of where it left it. And you can see where some of the dots are. That's kind of where things have been developing more. And the yellow areas were the areas that we were hoping over the next few years, last and this year, to get to. And we're so grateful that actually the Asia focus is really developing now. With a permanent training and ministry out there, out of Thailand in particular. And the Spanish speaking world is just starting this fall. 
we're looking forward to seeing that develop more for huge areas of the world. And we've been working this last year with a mission leader from Barcelona, training her to become a trainer for this ministry. And that's what she'll be focusing on. And we're excited that God is really doing something towards these areas. Middle East and Africa is still slower. We have some challenges there, you know, so often the news of the challenges are in the Middle East right now. And that also puts the work a little bit more in the back burner because the leaders out there can just engage with all the challenges right now. So we're hoping that just spending some time with one leader in, um, in the Middle East recently and they're hoping maybe next year or 2018 to be ready to then support more and more leaders to coaching in that region. Very desperate region, as you picked up in the news. Um, let me see where I am. <laughs> Next. So this is kind of where we were 2014. This is where the stats are. The stats are statistically not always that interesting, but we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It just hopefully lets you see what you are faithfully investing in financially and in prayer towards us in this work really is going free. And it does keep growing, and God is really faithful to sustain us and those that we work with. Next. And this is kind of gives you more of an idea where I personally connect with leaders primarily in these countries, not exclusively, but primarily. And these leaders are working in some really tangible, critical ministries. Church planting in particular, so needed in this region and these nations. Um, there's a gal who's been really training. She's leading artists um, in Egypt. Really interesting gal. Um, with the recent refugee crisis, so much work to be done, and so many leaders now involved and starting new things to reach out to the refugees. And Chris will be sharing during the picnic a bit more about that. At least been getting a little bit involved in that. But encourage you to come and hear what she has to say. Give you a very hands-on perspective. Um, been working with a couple in Croatia who's now they just purchased the ship and they're now starting to do the topic and evangelism too. It's a small sailboat. I think this will take the next my phone keeps coming out so someone didn't change the settings currently. There we go. So that's the ship they now have and they'll be sailing the coast doing the topic and evangelism sometimes most community in the Mediterranean. Great place if you're looking for a place to do this type of training school. Little tight quarters, but a lot of tangible ministry. Here is this next picture. You see the staff from Central Europe, the Jesus Commission, which is taking at our last um, staff conference and leaders gathering in Hungary. So it's a large group, some 200 people go all over, throughout from Poland all the way south to Greece all involved in various works and ministries and we're just glad to be able to support some of these in a very personal way and help them make better decisions, grow personally, grow spiritually, remain mature and work through the challenges that they face. Next. With the refugees that Chris will be sharing, I'll just show you a few pictures. You've probably been inundated at some point in the last year through the news. And this was taken just after the fence in Hungary had been put up. The stream of refugees that were coming up, you know, from 
Syria and Afghanistan and Africa primarily, through Turkey, a lot of them. And it's a dire situation. And we were glad to be able to just very practically go down to the border and help them just before the border was closing down. And you just kind of flip through the next couple stops and just dwell in a couple steps and see people on the train tracks. It's the main way to get across the border at the time when the border wasn't closed. Um, giving out water, giving out tents, blankets, whatever was needed. And then they get loaded onto a bus. And the Hungarian government providing buses. At that point, still moving them directly to Budapest, or at times they were moved to the border to Austria to catch another train. And then when things closed, they were put into camps, and that became a far more difficult situation. That's pretty much the situation right now that the refugees are pretty much stuck in camps until they can get somewhere. Our church in Budapest that we work with is going to have got involved to minister to those who were seeking asylum in Hungary. And that's where Chris has been involved as well from time to time. That's at the train station in Budapest, just crowded, people couldn't get out. Just a desperate situation. But now with the asylum center where people are, church goes weekly there to minister, build friendships, and that's kind of the main emphasis to make friends with these asylum speakers. Just really sharing one story from one particular person or a couple of people that she's met. You can hear a bit of what kind of, why are they leaving? Why are they leaving the situation that they're fleeing from? And they're very, very real. Next. Yeah, even the kids had one opportunity to go with us, had a whole church outreach to the camp there, and just playing games, making friends, getting to know people, changing their daily routine with something different. This brings encouragement hope. Some of them have been stuck there for months. There's nothing they can't work, they can't do anything, they get maybe some language classes, maybe some more Hungarian um, or another language that might be useful for them. But there's very little to do, so it's not a very pleasant context to be in. So it's helpful to visit people and make friends. Next. Oh, yeah. Um, as missionaries, we're supported through personal private donations and through our church here in Montevideo. If it's on your heart to give towards what we're doing, then feel free to do so. But don't feel obligated. God is the one who provides and cares. If you have a nudging in your heart to give towards what we're doing, we'd be very grateful, but let it be God initiating that. We'd appreciate your prayers. You can sign up for our newsletter that comes out, I don't know, twice a year. It's not going to get an update every day. It's not like your inbox will be very, very full. Sometimes three, four newsletters a year. Just any way you get an update of what we're doing, what you can be praying for. Um, in the bulletin that you received, or the, the other piece of paper, the white paper, if you have, did not receive one of those white papers, just where you can take notes, maybe I'll take prayers. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and somebody can give you one. Um, you can pair it off with some multi-technological device here, and you can pair it in half, and then you can pair it in another half if you want, in case you want to connect with us, give us your email, um, sign up for the newsletter, anything like that, it's right on the Feel free to do so. You can give them to us, or we, you can give them to Donna or somebody at the church, and then they'll make sure we're there. And if you know missionaries who might do well with having a coach for a season, let us know or let them know. 
if you've lost a connection with somebody you can work with them to challenge the country to All right. Getting to the meaty part, I hope. Um, let me see. I was doing this Bible study. I was pondering this whole side of God is always in our story. And He's always working on our behalf. He's always active. He's never asleep. He's never surprised by challenges or circumstances that we face as much as we might be surprised. We might be disturbed. We might be very challenged. We might be stressed out. And I was reading David's story in First Samuel 21. And by the way, in the notes, it's the correct chapter, but you may want to read the whole story, not just those few verses. And it's very interesting when you think of David called to be king, anointed to be king, but not coming to see the fulfillment of that promise at all in, for several years. And how not unusual for God to give us a promise, to call us to something, and us not seeing the fulfillment of that in any way immediately. Because God is always wanting to do a deeper work in us before he can do a greater work through us. And so David, in First Samuel 21, he's running for his life because Saul is trying to kill him. So he leaves everything. He has experienced tremendous loss. Friends, family, safety, food, all the basics. Anything that was normal was no longer part of his daily life and routine. And no promise that things will change. And interesting in Samuel 21, what does David do? And it's interesting that he doesn't do what I expect him to do if thinking he's a believer. He lies about why he's where he is. And I find it interesting and encouraging that God works with David in spite of some of the choices that he made. God does never seem to be hindered by anything that we might do wrong. He actually can work with the wrong choices that we make, and he works with David. So, next. We see that David had a very different approach to reflecting on 1 Samuel 21. I don't know, weeks? or months, or maybe years later, where he writes, or maybe somebody wrote this psalm about that situation. And when you read Psalm 34, it's a very encouraging psalm. Encouraging of how God is with us in the struggles and challenges that we face. Next. But this is what the psalm looks like without God's perspective. Blank everything out that's reference to God. Just kind of look at that. Let it sink in. Doesn't that describe how our lives sometimes feels? 
grateful in the worship this morning how our focus and attention is drawn to God in the midst of our fears. And it's expressed on how God desires to connect with us and love us right where we are in the middle of whatever we're facing. So this may be our current context. You can fill in your own words. You know where you're at right now and what you're facing. What you're feeling. And pain and suffering and challenges are simply real in the fallen world. We don't have to deny it. When it's hard, it's hard. But what do we do with this? Do we make a big drama? Yeah, we can get attention from others by maybe making the story sound worse than it is. Or we can be very honest and say, you know, it's a really hard season and I don't even know how to go through it. Without drawing attention to ourselves, but humbling ourselves and letting people know this is really a tough season right now. Would you want to see? So it takes that honesty, it takes the vulnerability, it takes that we're not just relying on ourselves and our resources, but looking to the God who is with us. Next. This is what I found so amazing, just focusing in the same psalm, blocking out everything else again, of just, you can see how God interacts. And it outweighs greatly already what the human perspective was. God answers. God cares. God delivers. God redeems. God is good. The angel of the Lord encamps around and delivers. He heard. He is. He heard. His eyes are toward. His ears are toward. He's very much actively present with us. What a different perspective. To know God really knows. He deeply knows and He deeply cares. He's not distant. Next. And this is then David's response. And it's pretty much, it's a worship response, isn't it? It's the response that before he was lying and he was running for his life and he's giving in to his fears, and maybe that's why he was lying. Who knows why? doesn't explain it to us in that passage. He doesn't explain it here. But he shows here by focusing on God. It gives me a different perspective on my challenges. Because he delivers me of my fears. He provides for what I need. That's what God does. And desires to do. That also requires an active part on our side. When it's tough, it doesn't help to remain passive. It doesn't help to just grieve the loss of it and stay in that place. The loss is not real. The pain is real. We can't deny that. But we can't stay there. We need to actively engage with God and with others in those circumstances. 
So what now? Right? You're in the midst of whatever you're facing. And it's so easy for us in our momentum of how we live life to just keep going and not really engage. And you all have phones or devices or old tape players, and you're probably familiar with the pod that pulls you back, right? You recognize that. So important when we're going through the challenges, the stresses, the pain, the suffering, whatever we face, that we really intentionally pause. And that's why we have Psalm 34. At some point, David talked, why am I doing this? Why am I lying? Why am I running out of fear? If we don't pause, we are unable to get back to the And pausing is so important. And then, in pausing, we give ourselves the opportunity to connect with what is really going on, to be honest with our feelings and thoughts, however godly or ungodly they might be, just really be honest. And pondering, what perspective do I have on my situation? I want to give you three, just probably 569 or more perspectives. I'll just give you three. We have this perspective that loss is loss. That's all it is. It's gone. Right? Businesses can fail. Family, friends die. But is loss loss from God's perspective? Or, from what we see in Psalm 34, God is a redeemer and he can transform loss into opportunity into life, even into something beautiful. Another perspective could be, I'm a victim of my circumstances, which means I'm powerless, there's nothing I can do. Sometimes things happen and we didn't cause anything. It's just somebody else's choices impact us, or the economy impacts us. We don't have choice over of what happens, but we're not a victim. We can see that with Joseph's life, how God can use very difficult situations to bring good out of Joseph's situation for entire family and trouble. What God meant for death, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. That could be another perspective, and gaining that perspective in the midst of where we are. Or, a perspective that my destiny depends on my right choices only. And not seeing, so if you've made a wrong choice, then it's like, well, now my destiny is over. It's the end of the road. And then there's nothing more you can live for. But the truth is, God uses our good and wrong choices to lead us and to fulfill the destiny He has for each one of us. Scripture is filled with that, right? Peter denies Jesus three times. And it seems like in the next days, he's just kind of done. He's disturbed, he's down. So he goes back to him, back to what he 
knew he can do well, that he failed at where he thought the work that he should be doing for God. And what does Jesus do? He shows up. He invades his fishing space from the shore, cooking a nice breakfast, and then having a very engaging conversation with Peter, not even rebuking him, but just loving on him, creating an atmosphere of love, of encouragement, and letting him know that he's never given up. He still has the same calling for Peter in spite of his failure. And I am sure Peter somewhere repented there. He was sorry right after his denial. But he's reinstated. God just doesn't give up because we made one or two wrong choices. He's always there to redeem. Isn't he a master redeemer anyway? So we can trust him that even when we make choices that are not the best, they don't even have to be sinful choices. Sometimes we just don't know any other choice to make. And in retrospect, if you wasn't the best, well, God will still be doing that too. He makes it just part of the story. Like with David. We know the story of David's failure, and we also know the great things God was able to accomplish in spite of those failures. And that's true for all of us. God is a redeemer. So those could be three perspectives. And let's see. Next place, sorry. Now here's a perspective changer for, for a lot of things. And I'm not going to go into detail in Romans 8, but I invite you to meditate on that whole chapter. It's a, it's a perspective changer. A God brings good in all things, makes, produces good things out of all things that happen. He works good in all things for those who trust. And it reaffirms so much of how deep God's love is and that nothing, which means none of our choices, either or circumstances, do ever separate us from Him. So I invite you to ponder that passage and on a daily basis connect with the God who loves you. It's not complicated. And next. Instead of dwelling on the hardship and the suffering and the pain, do pause. And then don't replay the same perspective that keeps you down. Grow in having the perspective that God would have for you and your circumstances. And the assurance of His love. And so press the reset button. If the system goes wrong, right, then you've got to restart it. But you don't want to replay it. Write your story with God's perspective. Pause, gain God's perspective, and so reset the story you're telling yourself with God right in the midst of loving you. And I'm so thankful that God in all circumstances desires that closeness that you may want with Him. He desires it even more. He desires to spend time with you. He desires to invade your space. 
And not just that you hear from me, but also that you hear from him. So you can get the perspective for your situation as David eventually did for his. So if you were, next, here's just some suggestions. Read Romans 8, rewrite your story with some of those beautiful, deep truths out of Romans 8. Or write a psalm. Not Psalm 151, it could be, you know, how many million psalms people probably have been writing ever since. But maybe write a psalm if writing is something helpful to you. Write a psalm about your situation. Fear and trust the Lord who is with you and who is for you. And include others. We're not supposed to walk with life alone. Walk with others. Invite them in. And remember that your circumstances don't determine or define your destiny and relationships. But your perspective has a strong impact. And if you, when you shift your perspective, you have God's perspective in it, you can change everything over time. So in closing, I invite you to next to sort exercise. This may be comfortable for you, this may be uncomfortable. And if it's okay if you're uncomfortable not to do it, then you can do it at home. But I'd like you to imagine yourself in your normal place of work, where you spend most of your time. That could be right in the kitchen, in the living room with the kids, cleaning, can be at work, driving a tractor, fixing a car, teaching a class, being in an office, whatever is the normal place of work for you. I see the difference. And imagine Jesus showing up. He walks right in there because he loves doing that. He loves to connect with us. We're just often so unaware of him being there. But imagine him coming to you. And just take now 30 seconds and say, hey, Jesus, what do you like about me? What are you proud of? Or, because this is often what the Romans page told us, God may or may not change our circumstances. But what he is after is using our circumstances to make us more like him in an aspect of his church. So I'm not sure which question you want to ask, and you may want to ask a very different question. But asking a personal question. So let's just be silent for 30 seconds, and then I'll close in prayer.
you know exactly what we're facing. You know the pain, the loss, the challenges, the disappointment. You know how real it is, and yet you want us to make this real. Not stay stuck in our circumstances, but in your view. In the view that we can and will always redeem anything. I pray this week would be rich for all of us to daily draw near you, to listen to you, and to hear words of the deep love that you have. Thank you that nothing ever separates us from you. Where is that? Am I yell that out? Does it have like a mascot dog or anything like that? Yeah. But you got the priorities right there. No fear. That's great. Father, thank you for it. And uh, sometimes, Lord, I, I gather in my own mind and watch us as believers for a while and for preparing ourselves for the event. And uh, I have to correct myself in that other case and remind myself that each day is to bring you brother while we're here. And I pray, Father, that your presence, your power, your wisdom would be granted in this family that they would bring you together. Thank you, Lord, that I, I'm confident that you are about to say to them any given time that, that you are pleased with them. Pray there be a faithfulness that will arise in them, and out the door would go the impatience and the, and the things that might create a little anxiety in them, but that they be able to rest in them. Lord, I pray to the day as we all meet the back that you bless our time and our fellowship of food and those that prepare, and that we would again be reminded that you. Thank you for this day.